Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Revelations, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. I'll start with... Um, the version from the New International Standard, which is uh, starts on page 1206 in the books in your pews, except for not yours because I took your book, sorry. <laughs> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I also came upon a translation of the same scripture um, in one of the books I was reading. And in that translation, this is the story of the beautiful city of God. This city sparkles with the loveliness of rare gems. The city is filled with light. There are no shrines or temples because everything here is understood to be sacred and filled with the holy. This is the story of the beloved community. In this community, we find welcome. In this community, we find kinship. In this community, we find our voice. In this community, all are loved. We're all familiar with the story of the Exodus, in which God set the Hebrews free. I'll skip the beginning and start at the middle, where God told Moses it was safe to return to Egypt. Moses and Aaron met with the Hebrew elders and relayed what God had directed Moses to do. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. But their initial excitement didn't last long. Moses told Pharaoh to allow the Hebrews to go into the wilderness to worship God for three days. Pharaoh responded by increasing the Hebrews' work, and the Hebrew leaders questioned Moses, saying, you have made us offensive to the sight of Pharaoh, and have put a sword in his hand to kill us. This was not a good start for Moses. 
Then Moses asked the Lord, O Lord, why have you done evil to the Hebrews? Why did you even send me? It would have been better if I'd never come. For since you sent me to Pharaoh, he has done evil to the Hebrews. You haven't delivered your people at all. Then began a series of ten plagues. Interestingly, the first few plagues afflicted both the Egyptians and the Hebrews, falling on the just and the unjust alike. This was done so that both peoples would yield to God. First, the Nile River was turned to blood. Even so, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not set the Hebrews free. Next came a plague of frogs. The amphibians swarmed all over Egypt. Thousands upon thousands of them were underfoot in clothes hampers, beds, outhouses, lunch boxes. They were literally everywhere. Pharaoh couldn't stand frogs. And so he agreed to set the Hebrews free if the frogs would go too. But once the frogs were gone, Pharaoh listened to his advisors and lobbyists, and his heart was hardened. He did not set the Hebrews free. Next came lice, then flies, then boils, then hail mixed with fire. By the way, hail mixed with fire, I'd set the Hebrews free, but <laughs> not Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not yield to God. Locusts then descended and ate all of Egypt's crops, and then a thick darkness covered the land. Pharaoh wavered, but after listening to his advisors and lobbyists, his heart was again hardened, and he did not set the Hebrews free. With warning upon warning unheeded, God visited death upon all levels of Egyptian society. None were spared, not the bottom 1%, not the top 1%, not anyone in between. All would know and be touched by the angel of death. The eldest offspring of both men and beast were killed, except for those who kept the Passover and followed God's instructions. Finally, Pharaoh set the Hebrews free but only after he and his people experienced great suffering. Like me, you may have struggled with the notion that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, presumably by God. Does this mean that God intervened so that he could inflict divine punishment on the Egyptians? Or did God simply move out of the way and let Pharaoh listen to his lobbyists instead of what Pharaoh presumably knew in his heart was best for his people? Did God stop whispering wisdom to Pharaoh? And did that absence of God's light cause Pharaoh to do something that frankly makes no sense to us? How could Pharaoh ignore the blood river, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the boils, the hail mixed with fire, 
the locusts, the darkness. Why did he have to wait until death visited his household before he acted and set the Hebrews free? Friends, we are living the Exodus plagues today. In May 1998, I was studying for the Oregon Bar exam when news came that a student killed his parents and then went to Thurston High School in Springfield where he killed two fellow students and wounded over 20 more. This plague was inflicted by guns. At the time, we had no idea that similar plagues of greater and greater intensity would descend on American school children over the next 20 years or that each time our elected representatives would chant thoughts and prayers, listen to the lobbyists, and harden their hearts. Nothing was done, and we waited for the next plague to descend. In April 1999, I was getting my hair cut when the news came that two students had gone to Columbine High School, killed 12 students and a teacher, then themselves. This plague was inflicted by guns. Our elected representatives chanted thoughts and prayers, listened to the lobbyists, and hardened their hearts. Nothing was done, and we waited for the next plague to descend. In April 2007, I was eating breakfast when the news came that a student killed 32 people at Virginia Tech and wounded 17 others. This plague was inflicted by guns. Our elected representatives chanted thoughts and prayers, listened to the lobbyists, hardened their hearts. Nothing was done. We waited for the next plague to descend. December 2012, I was in line at a coffee shop when the news came that a man had killed 20 school children and six teachers at Sandy Hook Elementary School. This plague was inflicted by guns. Our elected representatives chanted thoughts and prayers, listened to the lobbyists, hardened their hearts. Nothing was done. We waited for the next plague to descend. In October 2015, I was eating lunch when the news came that a student had killed nine people at Umpqua Community College. <clears throat> in a classroom where I'd studied French and American literature. This plague was inflicted by guns. Our elected representatives chanted thoughts and prayers, listened to the lobbyists, and hardened their hearts. Nothing was done. We waited for the next plague to descend. I could do this 20 more times. I'll do it once more. On Valentine's Day 2018, I was looking at love posts on Facebook. The news came that a student had killed 17 people at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Its plague was inflicted by guns. Our elected representatives chanted thoughts and prayers and hardened their hearts. We waited for the next plague to descend. In numbers, Chapter 34, it is written that Moses 
after he and the Hebrew people had wandered in the desert for 40 years, went up onto the mountain. And he looked over, and he saw the promised land. Rumi says, this windy mountaintop is ours. It sustains and protects. But we don't arrive here by just straining our necks to look at the mountain. We have to start out and leave the place where everyone worries about money and rank. Up here, it is music and poetry and the divine wind. Revelations tells us of a city that is filled with light. Numbers tells us that Moses went up onto the mountain and looked over and saw the promised land. And Rumi tells us that it is music and poetry and the divine wind in that place of light. But we cannot get to any of these places by staying where we are. Here are today's queries. Our society and our leaders have hardened their hearts to shocking plagues, school shootings, the plight of immigrants, homelessness, income inequality, environmental degradation, climate change. How have we hardened our hearts to these plagues and why? Is it because the troubles of our time are overwhelming? I know that I feel overwhelmed at times. Do we shut out what we feel powerless to change? I do that too. But what can we do to soften our hearts to the suffering of our fellow human beings and the environment and to future generations that we haven't met.